listening to Impact Izzo, the student voice of Michigan State University basketball, bringing you news, updates, and more. It's basketball season, and when I say that, I don't just mean we're talking about preseason or anything. We're talking about the regular season. Michigan State has a game under its belt, a loss. But we are here to talk about it nonetheless on the Impact His Own Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. I'm Ryan Cole, joined with my lovely cohorts, Julian Mitchell, Amanda Poole. How are we doing today, everyone? Doing great. Woke up this morning, saw snow outside, thought yes. about transferring for a minute, <laughs> but we're still here because I was like, I got a podcast to do. Thank goodness basketball is played indoors, right? I mean, right right now it does not look like basketball. Like, I, I don't want to do anything when I see the snow out there, but I, I'm just glad that basketball is played indoors in the Breslin Center. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about the snow. Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, boy. Uh, so excited are you okay are you that person before we get into msu kansas are you what when do you start listening to christmas music october 29th no way oh my god i made my christmas playlist I actually have two one for car rides and then one for while i'm studying that's unbelievable what's the difference between them? <laughs> yeah, okay actually, like yeah. <laughs> the one, well, wait, there's a difference the one like sleigh while rides <laughs> The one while I'm studying is like the classics, like the older ones, but the one that like in my car is like Justin Bieber. Oh, I was I was just gonna say <laughs> yeah. the Justin Bieber ones. Where <laughs> I carry like all those. So. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, got down to a science. Julian, Christmas music? No. You gotta <laughs> no. At all, period, or oh, just no. like what what time frame it are you going starts here? for me on December first. Okay. Scrooge. Once ABC Family's 25 Days of Christmas starts, that is when music starts playing. I am mm-hmm. in the Christmas mood. But until then, it's Thanksgiving, despair, mm-hmm. dread, and then December 1st hits. Despair, dread, coincides with Black Friday, of course. <gasps> yes. Black Friday is like my Olympics. <sighs> so exciting. <laughs> Let's just talk about Kansas. For, for me, for me it's, it's Black Friday is when I start listening to Christmas music. Let's get through Thanksgiving, get through the football, family, friends, food. Friday we can play Christmas music. I'm a big Christmas music guy, but not October 29th. That's ridiculous. That's Every year I feel like it happens sooner too. Like normally I would wait till November 1st, oh, man. but this year I just I couldn't keep the Christmas spirit inside. You're gonna be like middle aged and listening to Christmas music in <laughs> July. June, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Christmas in July. <laughs> well, it, it was not Christmas for uh, Michigan State in that first game. How about that for a segue? Come on, that was all a good right. One. Thank yeah, you. Great Thank job. You. Transition. <laughs> It, it was, uh, it was, it def- definitely in that first half too. It was not looking like Christmas. It was looking like it might be a long season for Michigan State. Yes, it was the number one Kansas Jayhawks, but still, I mean, they they came out flat for sure. Michigan State did. They they started out they were down eighteen sixteen, but then it was all Kansas, and we were starting to think and, and like, thinking back to our predictions last week. One of us picked Kansas by twenty here. That was Amanda. <laughs> And I was in Kansas went up 17 in the beginning of the second half. And I thought, oh, man, it's going to be leading the standings. I thought that, too. (laughs) (laughs) But then Michigan State came back. But it wasn't enough. Michigan State loses to number one, Kansas, 92 to 87 in the Champions Classic on Tuesday in Indianapolis. I had the pleasure of being there along with Tino Abarca reporting for WDBM Sports. You can. Find all our content and everything, impact89fm.org. 
slash sports or on Twitter, Instagram, at WDBM Sports. But, I mean, as far as the takeaways from this game, I mean, I don't know where to start because there are definitely a lot. And, and I know we don't want to overreact to one game. And, yes, Kansas is, the, is a top-two team in the country. I say top-two because... I'd be shocked if Duke doesn't jump them for number one because Duke played outrageously well against Kentucky in Incredible. the second game. That was that was nuts. I'm upset that I didn't get to watch much of it because we were working so hard to get everything and get out of Indy. But Kansas a top two team. And Michigan State showed a lot of fight in the end. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways for me is these guys showed grit. And I, I know it's it's cliche and look a loss is a loss but when you when it comes down to it what I saw is a bunch of guys out there that look like they wanted it they wanted to come back and and they could have just laid down right but but I thought that they did a nice job coming back yeah I definitely think that a lot of Spartan fans were definitely like you know worried at first but then when they saw that fight like you were saying the grit or whatever the the want to be there the want to win um, that's kind of Spartan basketball. That's kind of what they look for. Um, that's what Tom Izzo, you know, insinuates into the Spartan team. So, I mean, they have the mentality, but they just need to be on that gas pedal for the first half and the second half. Yeah, they came out flat. I mean, Kansas, look, again, great team. And they went to some bigs down low. They went to a fabulous forward in uh, Diedrich Lawson uh, early and often, although he was 5 for 18, but he had 20 points. Uh, on the day, but what do you think is more like Michigan State, I think is my question. The first half or the second half? That's a tough question for me, because for me, it was less about the fight I saw from Michigan State and more about Kansas letting their foot off the gas. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like Mm -hmm. Michigan State, like, watching the comeback happen, it never felt like the Spartans were coming back in the game. It just, it felt like Kansas had complete control of that game going through it, and to be honest, I don't know what to see from this Michigan State offense. I definitely think Langford finding his shot in that second half will be big, and that should be more of what the Spartans expect to see from him this season. But overall, the offense still looked lackadaisical and stagnant to me. It didn't seem like they ever really found a true, a true, I guess, identity, might identity be one. to what they yeah. wanted to do. It, it just didn't seem like they had it. I think you're spot on there, especially with the identity part, because they certainly were lacking last year. You know who was getting the ball. Miles Bridges uh, had that talent. So he, he had that, hey, give me the ball. I'll just take care of business. Um, although we made the argument he didn't do that quite enough last year. Mm-hmm. But maybe we started, we, maybe we took that for granted because <laughs> Michigan State right now, especially with Cassius Winston struggling like he did, 3 of 10 from the field. Nick Ward was 2 for 8. I thought that you were spot on when you said the identity part. They seemed to be missing that go-to guy. And when you mentioned Josh Langford, I think we saw glimpses of this team's really only hope to be that go-to guy might just be Josh Langford. I mean, look at his inconsistent play in the first half. He was only one for four with five points in the first half. He comes out and he hit... I think three straight threes in a stretch there in the second half to get Michigan State back in it, back within single digits. He went four for seven from the field in the second half for 13 points. And so I think that that goes to show you, I mean, yes, just about everybody on Michigan State played better in the second half. That The stats don't lie with that. 
But I think Josh Langford, when it comes down to it, I think it's going to be big for him to stay consistent. Yeah, not only, like, his skills, but, like, he is a captain. Like, he's going to have to – those are the shoes that he needs to fill, and that's what's expected out of him. And if he can fill those shoes, if he's doing that, if he's the go-to guy for the shots and he can make the shots – I mean, that's just all the better for Michigan State. With that jump shot, the mid-range that I have loved for his two, <laughs> his first two years on campus, uh, loyal listeners to the podcast know that I will drool over his mid-range and old man game. Um, you just don't see it very often, but y- y- you need more out of him, you know, especially mm-hmm. in that first half. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest takeaways for me is Josh Langford has to be that guy. He, yes, he led the team with 18 points. Well, great, but on a night like that, he needed more. And because he had to also pick up for Cassius Winston, who only scored 13 points. Yes, he had 11 assists, so he was distributing the ball. Um, but five turnovers for Cassius Winston, too. And I know turnovers we talk about all the time. That was certainly not promising for Michigan State, especially hearing that they turned the ball over, I think, 18, 19 times against 18. Gonzaga. And then, well, right, but then against Kansas, yeah, another 18 turnovers. We Five turnovers from Nick Ward, five turnovers from Cassius Winston, uh, three from Xavier Tillman. So some of the big dogs on the team, you got to hold on the ball and you got to, you, you can't give away possessions. And as far as Kansas goes, they scored 20 points off those 18 turnovers. That's a big difference in the game. Exactly. Those turnovers are huge, especially when you're a team like Michigan State who's not getting anything going in the half court. you got to value possessions of the basketball. That's the only way you're going to beat teams like a Kansas. You can't let them get out in transition. You can't let them run on you because they're going to score. You can't. They will. you got to value possession of the basketball and make it a slower game. I mean, I know Michigan State wants to get out in transition, mm-hmm. but at least on the half court end, you got to slow the game down. They ran decently, too. They they did. Kansas kept up with him. I believe it was 26-24 in terms of fast break fast points. Fast break, yes. And that's where it comes in. Michigan State, yes, is pushing the pace, but Kansas, obviously, look at it. They have better athletes mm-hmm. than Michigan State, and that's just, you can see that on paper. And I've long said it, Michigan State is just going to turn the ball over a bit more under Tom Izzo. That's just, that's just their style of play is they pass the ball a lot. You know, it's it's there's no ISO game. Now, it was funny talking to Xavier Tillman about what happened in that first half against Kansas. Is he said, "Yeah, we just when we got down, we tried to play hero ball, we tried to play iso ball." And he, he, it was funny. He's like, "We never play iso ball. Like, what were we doing? You know, that kind of thing." And and that's true. It's just they play team basketball the whole time. They also get out in the fast break. They're very aggressive at that point. I've always argued Michigan State will turn the ball over more than say Michigan. John Beeline's team of John Beeline's teams have always been towards the bottom of the country. Well, okay, top in the country in fewest turnovers per game, if if that makes sense. Okay, they, I'm picking they up what don't, you're putting down. They don't turn it over, <laughs> and and I think Spartan fans see that in the state, and they see their rival do it, and they're like, well, why can't we not turn it over? But I just think that's kind of Michigan State style of play. But 18 turnovers still way too much yeah and like you said those the main five coming from Nick Ward five coming from Cassius Winston those are the players that you need to depend on not to turn the ball over that much and when it comes down to momentum and you know turnovers are never happen at a good time but it was just 
every time that the Spartans seem to have a chance to get up or to keep their heads up or to do something that's going to help them stay positive, turnover, turnover, turnover. And that just that does not help a team in any way. And then it just gets them all down mentally, and then that affects their physical game. It was turnovers and fouls, by the way. when In that second half, when they start to get a run going, the the little the small MSU contingent that was there at Bankers Life Fieldhouse because Kentucky fans just took over that place. Big Blue Nation is nuts. I mean, they were doing chants during the MSU Kansas game. I don't know if you guys heard it on TV, but they were doing "Go Big Blue" like <laughs> during the MSU Kansas game. Like, don't you guys your your game's not started yet? You, you guys, <laughs> that's all they have. They, they will travel. Oh, Kentucky basketball. That's all they have. That's that's what they. Well, actually, their football team might be ranked this higher true. next week. Actually, yeah, that is true. <laughs> For whatever reason, they're really good at football this year. Um, but I, every time the fans would get behind Michigan State, and and you could start to sense something like maybe this could happen, it was a turnover or a foul. And the personal fouls were an issue for Michigan State. It started out six nothing Kansas, by the way, as far as fouls. But Michigan State got in some foul trouble pretty quickly. Fouling out was Xavier Tillman. Four fouls for Nick Ward and Josh Langford. And they really that that kind of hampered Michigan State's comeback attempt. I thought was the fact that they had to play careful, especially against Azubuki down low, who. Look, he had a decent game. He went 7 for 10, 17 points, but I thought Ward was decent in in at least forcing him for with hook shots and runners and things like that as opposed to dunks. I mean, that that was just me. I I don't know. I mean, yeah, he had 17 points. That's definitely not what Nick Ward had, right? But I felt like he did a decent job of defending, but those fouls made it difficult for him to defend to defend him, especially down low late. Yeah, and I felt like you are right. There are points where, you know, Azubuki didn't get easy dunks underneath or anything easy down low. He did just out-muscle Ward down low. He was able to get nice position down low in the paint. Yes, he was for- forced to hook shots, but a hook shot from inside the restricted area was is easy for a seven-footer with his size. And it all starts with before you catch the ball. You know, mm-hmm. you, you got to force him out. And, and Exactly, and I that's think- where some of the fouls come from is Nick mm-hmm. Ward is just not at the, I mean, he's lost weight. He's not there height wise, and so he has to kind of arm bar and push and be a little bit more physical to push him away. And Azubuki's just that much of he's a mountain of a man, and mm-hmm. those foul calls are going to go in his way. It was something seeing him in person. He's he's a very large man, as is Zan Williamson from Duke. By oh the way, I mean, oh I, my gosh! Like I said, like like we were working so hard, so. I, I actually didn't get into the arena to watch when he was on the court, but literally him standing in the huddle and then like sitting on the bench made me go, that is a large human being. I can't imagine like playing against him, but all right, enough of, enough of that Duke <laughs> Kentucky one. We could break that down too. But uh, Michigan State, as far as this one goes, we, we haven't mentioned Kenny Goins yet. I think we have to. He. Played a very nice game as far as uh, his expectations and everything. 17 points, a career high for him. 11 rebounds. He's had 13 rebounds in a game before, so not a career high, but a double-double. His first career double-double, and if you ask me, I didn't see this coming. I don't think anybody... I don't think anybody, <laughs> I don't think anybody saw it coming. Now, I think we've seen... 
I think we saw him needing to be a crucial part of this team because we saw what Jaron Jackson could do at that four spot last year, and I think it's very important for Kenny Goins to perform there because they can take away Cassius Winston and Josh Lankford. They can take away Nick Ward. That leaves you with Kenny Goins. So that leaves him as one of those X factors for this team going ahead. Um, I mean, he for the most part, he answered the call. He was three for eight from three. Um, I just the problem is I don't think he can shoot eight threes a game. I don't I don't think you can ask Kenny Goins to do that going forward this year. Exactly. And I don't like you said we didn't see it coming. I don't think Bill Self or Kansas saw it coming. That's not a guy who you I mean, you look at him a little bit and say maybe he'll take one or two, but you're not game planning for him to take eight and make three of those. No. And that's that's where it kind of went. Like he had a great game. I give him credit for how he shot and how he performed in this game. He was definitely the X factor and brought more energy than anyone else. But I don't think, like you said, he's taking eight threes and making three of them every single game. Do you think Tom Izzo even had that in the game plan? Because I, quite honestly, I don't think so. I think Tom Izzo probably wanted to go to Winston, Langford, and Ward more and did not see that coming with, with Kenny Goins. Now, again, great performance, but I mean, I think we're going to talk about him in a little bit with our Twitter questions. Everybody's wanting to know about Kenny <laughs> yeah, Goins. Kenny Goins. But this? Yeah, who's this guy? But, I mean, he's the only guy that's been here for five years now. Uh, but I don't know. It. I hesitate to say this team will go as far as Kenny Goins will take it because it's not, that's not what this team is. He's not the identity of the team. But, but as far as defensively, uh, uh, Michigan State's opposition – is going to be keying in on Winston Ward, Langford, and probably McQuaid a little bit too from outside, which will leave a lot of opportunities for Kenny Goins. Well, I think that's probably what happened in the Kansas game. They weren't expecting him to be that type of player and didn't know that he was capable of such a thing. Um, so maybe they didn't pay that much attention to him, and mm-hmm. he kind of just was like, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity to do something because no one's paying attention to me because they're focused on you know guarding Cassius more, focusing on Nick Ward. Um, stopping those types of things and not this little sneaky Kenny Goins coming in there, which, I mean, good for him, but not not this season. It's not going to be a, a consistent factor every game. And I think one of the things that I'm intrigued by as a possibility with Kenny Goins' game is if he can put the ball on the deck just a little bit, if he can, you know, because he has those open three attempts at the top of the key, right? I mean, that just... That happened a lot in that game against Kansas. We saw it a little bit in that Northern Michigan exhibition game, too. He's got a lot of those opportunities, but can he put the ball on the deck a little bit? And and I don't say this like disrespectfully to him, but if he can kind of become a little more of, hey, now I can dribble in once, twice, draw in that defense that wasn't paying attention to me yet, and then I can kick it out to... Cassius because they left him open. I think that if he can do that, that might give Michigan State a better chance against some of these top-level teams because, yes, as good as Kenny Goins was, 17 points, 11 rebounds, I think when you kick it out to Matt McQuay, Josh Langford, or Cassius Winston out there, or even hit Nick Ward down low on the block, I think those guys give you a better shot at scoring more points than that. I, I don't know. I mean... Well, yeah, that's just creating more like movement, more movement right. on the court offensively. And I mean, Kenny's quick. He's mm-hmm. quick. He can move quickly. And if he can do that while dribbling a ball and then kicking it back out, that's only positive things for Michigan State. 
Yeah, it'll just be interesting to see what what happens with that because while him taking off the dribble will help and provide a little bit more um, opportunity for ball movement, the issue is that you're matching up with Kenny Goins versus Deidre Glosson. Deidre mm-hmm. Glosson isn't afraid to just step up and stop him from dribbling. Right. That defense isn't necessarily going to be drawn in all the time because Kenny Goins just isn't a factor mm-hmm. as far as driving or even putting up a free throw line jump shot. So when it comes down to it, Michigan State's 0-1, not 1-0. But that's that was somewhat expected. We all picked Kansas to win. Um, I was the closest on the prediction, by the way. So we had I'll to announce make... that to everybody again. We definitely thought it was Amanda though at the <laughs> beginning of that second half because it was looking like a blowout. But one other thing that I want to get to before we get to our Twitter question is Nick Ward. He went two for eight from the field. Nobody's going to say he had a good game by any stretch of the imagination. We can agree on that, right? I mean, against those bigs from Kansas, of course. I mean, look, that's probably also the best front court he's going to play Yeah. this this season. I mean, unless unless they play Duke in the NCAA tournament because <laughs> they don't have Duke scheduled. But those guys were dogs down there. They were huge. And Nick Ward struggled. He went two for eight. He had... This is this is the new box score, by the way. We were talking earlier about um, uh, the the couple new stats that they have for the NCAA box scores. He had three blocks against, so three of his shots were blocked. That's that's a new stat by the NCAA, <laughs> by the way. Now, by the way, so for all of you keeping track at home for who gets the most shots blocked this year, like like doesn't block the shots, they get their shots blocked. Nick Ward had three of those. Uh, two for eight, five from ten from uh, the free throw line. Michigan State struggled in the first half from the free throw line, got better in the second. Uh, I asked Tom Izzo after the game about that, and he said it shouldn't be a problem this year with free throws. So keep your eye out for that, but Tom Izzo says shouldn't be an issue. But Nick Ward's game, what happened with him is he, he kind of put his head down, and I think he got so excited to get out there, especially against the number one team, but against some big-time competition, national stage, He's been hearing you've been hearing it, the new and improved Nick Ward all off season, and I think he got too excited, and so he put his head down and said, "I got this, I'm better than these guys, I'm taller, that is false, I'm wider, that is also false because he has slimmed down." So I think that when it came came down to it, he got a little eager, and so he went two for eight. But I think there is a silver lining in this, and. I think he actually composed himself and handled himself much better in that game. And he talked a little bit after uh, the game with myself and uh, Brendan Quinn from The Athletic. Last year, against competition like that and having a day like that, he would have just crumbled. He would have, he would have, I mean, he, he. you see him get upset at the refs, you see him get upset at, at his teammates, at everything, right? And just... Almost whiny, almost, right? I mean, that, let's, let's just face it. That's what it was. But what did he do on Tuesday? And Tom Izzo complimented him as well. He wasn't taking it out on his teammates. He was just kind of, hey, that's on me. And he, he, just, he just really composed himself in the huddles and, and everything like that to where I, I believe it. I believe the more mature, the new and improved Nick Ward. And... That's huge for Michigan State because when he, when the going gets tough, you can't just self-destruct. And and Nick kind of did that last year at times. So 
that's that's my positive for Nick Ward coming out of the Kansas game. And say what you will, two for eight, yes, but I think there's a positive that can be taken out of it. Yeah, I think the the maturity factor is huge, and that's going to help a, a team that's trying to find itself, and especially with the younger players out there on the floor and remaining composed and keeping that composure on the floor. My only issue is that's the only thing, at least so far with the small sample size, I've seen improve out of Nick Ward. Mm-hmm. And as much as Michigan State fans, as Tom Izzo, and everyone has put into him, there's just, at least in this, this game we've seen, not a lot of improvement out of his basketball game. I mean, Azubuki's bigger than him, wider than him, but he had no moves, no no positioning against him whatsoever. It just looks, it's going to, I mean, he's going to perform better, I think, in the Big Ten and against lesser caliber big men. Definitely but, these next two games against exactly. Florida Gulf Coast and Louisiana Monroe. Yeah, he, he can pick builder. himself up. <laughs> he can yeah. pick himself up. The thing that just that worries is going to be when he has to play a team such as Kansas or Duke, when you get down to it, that is just has players more talented than him. Mm-hmm. And, and a little taller than him, too. I think the thing with Nick Ward is he's 6'8", and mm-hmm. I mean... Okay, for for those of us, I know <laughs> he's, he's only so six, eight, guys. he's so short. Uh, but honestly, he going against an Azubuki who's six nine, six ten, six eleven. That's a lot of what those Kansas front court guys were, and those couple inches make a huge difference. And I, I think that when it comes down to it, Nick Ward has to make up for it with those finesse moves. He has to make up for his height differences, and he can, and especially now that he's lost weight, he can't just bully guys over now mm-hmm. he's got to really work for it so I, I don't know I just I still think you know I, I have this trust and maybe it's because I picked him to lead the team in scoring and be the team MVP everything like that on our prediction show last week but I just have this feeling like he's gonna be all right and maybe I'm wrong on that I don't know I mean, yeah, like you guys both said, Nick Ward has been the talk. I mean, other than Xavier Tillman, Tom Izzo has been saying Ward and Tillman have, you know, gone through these changes. They're different people. I'm excited to see what they do this year. And you just didn't see that. Mm -hmm. You were like, wait, wait, when is this going to happen? I do think or I hope that he learned from this game and maybe went in there big-headed and realized I don't need to score every possession. I don't need to be the MVP every single game, every single possession. I just need to be consistent and play my game. And hopefully that was kind of an eye-opener for him, and then that'll change his game. But, yes, I definitely saw the maturity in his mentality and his, you know, the way he just kind of carried himself a little bit more instead of that immature, like you said, whiny um, player. So we'll see. We'll see what he can do. It was it was definitely the in-possession stuff. Yeah, I mean, I understand. You know, he, he put his head down and didn't pass out of mm-hmm. obvious double teams, and if he kicks it out a couple more times, I mean, you're talking about Michigan State being in the thick of the game in the first half and then maybe going on a run in the second half and maybe winning this game. So that was certainly not good to see, is he kind of reverted to some old ways of putting his head down in double teams and not passing out. But I think after the fact, I think that's what I was talking about with that maturity. So I I just have this trust. I just think he's going to be all right. So that's just me. I don't know. So moving on from that Kansas game, we have, uh, I, I guess, I don't know, breaking news. I mean, we we saw it, it was literally 33 seconds left in the first half. We got, you know, the, the news to stop, you know, all the talk and the speculation. Marcus Bingham, the freshman out of uh, Grand Rapids, is not redshirting. He played for the last 33 seconds in the uh, first half. 
and that was it. He played 33 seconds in that game. Uh, but Tom Izzo burning his red shirt, so he talked, you know, with his family and everything like that, and that's that's the the decision there is Marcus Bingham will play for Michigan State this year, and I think that that leads to the next question of, you know, first off, was this the right decision? But also, like, what what should the expectations be for Marcus Bingham now? The the tall, wiry guy who we we we've saw him we saw him against Northern Michigan go off for for a few baskets there. Uh, I mean, can that be expected from him in a lot of these games, Julian? Uh, I th- I think so. I think he can be he can kind of fill a role of what Kenny Goins filled in this Kansas game, mm-hmm. not necessarily at the volume, but be a guy who can help stretch the floor. And I think he's kind of like Jaron Jackson in that if Izzo plays him right and he does put up some strength, he could be a small ball five if you'd like him to. And that's where things get interesting. Is This year I don't expect a whole lot out of him. This is more of a growing year and see the talent that you're going to go up against mm-hmm. and grow. But you talk about the next years down the line, this is where Izzo can truly expand this offense and work around a player like him. And I think, honestly, if it, whether or not this is the right decision, I don't think we'll know until you know towards the end of this year. And mm-hmm. if he really you know, does grow from playing up against this competition. And it's and it's hard to note, 33 seconds against Kansas, it's hard to really gauge how well he's going to play in other games. But, I mean, we'll see. He definitely has the tools to be successful. It's just whether or not he can get to that. End of the year, we'll be, we'll be looking back on it for yeah. sure. You know, oh, yeah. that, that's something where I think we'll, we'll look at. Now, of course, maybe he goes off for 15 in a crucial game, you know, in the Big Ten race. And... To be completely honest, if that's the case, you know, and if, if he wins you one one game, then honestly, it, I, I'd say it's probably worth it to burn the red shirt, right? I mean, but you're exactly right. Going against the competition that he's going to see for his MSU basketball career. And I think we talked about it last week with, with debating whether or not he will redshirt or not. If he can learn from that and learn from seeing the competition, and and I think if that pushes him to improve, I think that's crucial for Marcus Bingham's development, you know, is, all right, now I've seen what I'm going up against. Am I just going to continue to be this lanky guy, or am I going to put some muscle on? Am I going to put some body fat on and impose my will on some of the other players? Because I think some players are going to impose their will on him this year. Oh, yeah. I think I, that's, talk about learning. He's, he's going to, it's, that's called trial by fire right there. I mean, you are going to get thrown right into it in a physical conference. Um, but but I think it's the right decision. I think it's the right decision. I think we agree on that, that Michigan State, they need help down low. And Marcus Bingham, while he's not bulky down low, like I think Michigan, I think Michigan State needs another bulky body down there. And because they're lacking it, I think that's going to hamper their potential this year. But... He's still a big, and he can he can swat some shots. He's got a seven five wingspan. You thought Jaron Jackson had a long wingspan last year. He has one inch longer of a wingspan. Uh, does Bingham? So I don't know. I mean, Tom Izzo said actually yesterday, if you watch him on one end of the court, he's all world. If you watch him on the other, he's not. <laughs> and and I I instantly think you know okay well when you think a freshman okay. They're typically all world on offense, but they have yet to learn the defense. But I, I actually kind of wonder 
if maybe it's the other way around. I should have asked a follow-up to Tom. Hey, which which end did you mean he's all world on? Because with him, he mm-hmm. can swat shots. And and I think that that helps him on the defensive end like it helped Jaron Jackson last year. And on offense, you got to be bulkier. He's got to be bigger. So, but yeah, that's that's Tom Izzo, of course, you know. Hey, he's good on one end, but boy, he's got a lot of work to do on the other end. So, all right. Let's move on to the Twitter questions. You can always tweet at us. Hashtag Impact is Zone. We will read your questions on the air. And well, we have we have a few here. I'm excited to get through these. Let's let's get through them. We're gonna start with at Thomas underscore Kafori. He had one last week, right? He's a he did constant <laughs> contributor big to fan. the podcast. Big fan. He's got big a lot fan. of questions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's why we're here to answer them for you, Tom. Thank you for uh, tuning in. Of course, he asks several, so we'll start. I'll start, and I'll just have you guys answer. Who will fill in the role for backup point guard? Now, this is a tough one. This is I don't think Foster Lawyer is the guy just yet. I think he definitely was okay in the minutes he saw against Kansas, but I don't know if he's the guy you go with. Mm-hmm. I think Matt McQuaid is probably the guy who gets the ball handling responsibilities. I think as of right now, in the way he looked in Kansas, he's the most ready to take it and at least put it on the deck. He was the he was the only guard I truly saw that was ready to put it on the deck and take it right at the rim. And so with that and what you saw from him, I think he's the guy who, at least when Winston's sitting, takes those ball handling responsibilities. Yeah, I think at the beginning we all were like, yeah, Foster Lawyer is going to be this player that it's going to help Cassius, you know, shoot his shot mm-hmm. while Foster leads the offense sometimes. But, I mean, from what we've seen, Matt McQuay can be the person that can do that now because of his experience on the team. So I would probably pick Matt McQuaid too. Yeah, and McQuaid has been the backup point guard before, actually. His freshman year here, he had to play backup point guard a little bit, uh, backing up Tom Tom Nairn and uh, and no, that wasn't Travis Trice, right? No, that was that was backing up Tom Tom. I I still think I, I think this is one of those things where, yeah, it's Matt McQuaid, but say middle of December towards end of December after you get some of those cupcakes in, maybe Foster can start to take more of the reins with that. But it also is on defense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you gotta play defense to play in Tom Izzo's system. And Foster Lawyer played four minutes twenty two seconds against Kansas. Um he probably would have played more if he was less of a liability on defense. So uh, Matt McQuaid actually led the team in minutes with thirty, uh, almost 34 minutes. So that's that's going to be asked of McQuaid, and he's got to stay healthy. He's got to stay conditioned because he's going to be on the, on the court a lot, obviously as a starter, but also as the backup point guard. I mean, that, that puts you in some dire straits. So it's important for Michigan State to get Foster Lawyer going defensively. Next up. We didn't even mention Kyle Arns about the in the Kansas game. <clears throat> Kyle Arns went two for four, two for three from three, and they were two pretty memorable threes. One was a buzzer beater at the end of the first half, and then the other one put Michigan State within three, 90 to 87 with 34 seconds left. So Kyle Arns had a big breakout game, I would say. You know, when we talked about who, who's a breakout player, Kyle Arns is definitely... Uh, coming off an injury last year, didn't play all last year. So Thomas's question here, Tom's question, not Tom Izzo, Tom Kafori. We're still on Tom Kafori. <laughs> I mean, Tom Izzo sure has this question too. Will Kyle Arnes see an increase in playing time after his productive minutes against Kansas? 
again, a t- against a tough team like Kansas, you just don't know how the players are going to play. Um, but, I mean, he, he did prove himself in those minutes. He proved himself that he could make the shots when he needed to make the shots. But will that, you know, trans transfer into, like, another, you know, conference game or something? I don't know. But he he did prove himself in those minutes that he played. I think he definitely – he could see a little bit of a bump. He played 10 minutes in the game against Kansas. You'll get a guy like Aaron Henry played 15, Tillman with 13. I think he could be somewhere in that middle ground. Izzo's going to have to work around and see how he can split those minutes between those three guys. But I definitely think he played a fantastic game. And you look at this Michigan State offense, as Nick Ward kind of tries to find himself underneath as far as post-up situations – they got to find a way to shoot the basketball, and one of the best shooters they have out there on the floor is going to be Arns. And Tom Izzo's been pretty complimentary of Arnie. That's his guy, Arnie. And (laughs) when we talk about the lineup, right, you have the starting five, and then Xavier Tillman's coming off the bench, and then it's Aaron Henry and Kyle Arns. And those those are his guys. And he he still needs to see more out of, like, a, a Gabe Brown who didn't even play in that game against Kansas. And then, obviously, I mean, you need more out of Bingham, Lawyer, and some of those guys. And and I don't think he's comfortable going all the way down to, like, a Connor George and, and things like that. So, when it comes down to it, Kyle Arns is the seventh or eighth man on this team, and he has to play. So, I, I think he's going to get minutes no matter what. He played uh, close to 10 minutes against Kansas. I think you'll see that 10 to 12 range for him as we go on this season lastly from Tom Kafori how dynamic can this offense be with Kenny Goins developing into a stretch four that's a tough question that's one where you look at it and you look at Kenny Goins makes three threes and you're like oh my goodness we got a stretch four on our hands <laughs> ladies and gentlemen but then you look at him again and you're the like this is Jaron Jackson this is Kenny Goins like yeah. we're comparing Kenny Goins to Jaron Jackson and yes Kenny's stretching the floor and he's hitting threes but it's going to get easier for defenses to key in on them. And the game against Kansas, it looked like Kansas had no game plan. I mean, they're coming off easy pick, pick and pops, and Kenny Goins is just wide open on three because you're like, he's not going to take that shot. Go ahead, take it. <laughs> yeah. And then he makes it. Defenses are going to be able to key in on them. And I, I think it also starts with the guards. Cassius Winston's got to be more of a threat going to the basket or else they're just going to stay up on Goins and force Winston to make a play. If he can't make a play, Goins isn't going to be open for the shots he had against Kansas. And I think this this goes along with the next Twitter question, too, so I'm going to get this out there, too, from at Coach Matty Burr. He's uh, he's not an actual coach. He, he co- Okay. I'm sorry, Matt. I know you're listening. Wow, he has coach in the Twitter handle. He... He's like the greatest IM coach of all time, actually. You, you've, if you've played IM basketball, you've probably seen him in his visor and everything. He looks like Gary Patterson, the TCU <laughs> oh football coach. Uh, I, I love the guy. He says, Kenny Goins recorded 17 points, 11 rebounds against a very good Kansas team. Will the success continue for Kenny? Will he average double digits this season? Where's his ceiling? So putting all these questions around, okay, here are the Kenny Goins questions. How dynamic can the offense be? Will the success continue? Will he average double digits? Where is his ceiling? Go ahead, Amanda. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's this whole thing. that He was such a wild card. No one expected it. Right. So we don't know to expect it next game. And you're up against Kansas. You're, it really, like Julian said, it depends on if the 
other team is going to focus on Cassius. If those people, on like Nick Ward, if those people are drawing attention away from Kenny Goins and he can get in there and find those open shots and make those moves, then yeah, I mean, we could see more scoring from him. And I mean, he's always aggressive. He's always, I mean, he's a tough guy because um, of his experience and his quickness. But 17 points and 11 rebounds. Every game consistently? No. Yeah, I, I don't see a double, no. double, double happening for sure. I also don't see him averaging double-digit points this season as well. Um, the the points output will definitely be led by Cassius, Josh, and Nick, and then probably McQuaid fourth, and then probably. I mean, I still think Tillman's going to take over for Kenny Goins, and I might be changing that. You know, if it if after a month, Xavier, I mean, Xavier Tillman struggled against Kansas. So certainly the argument for Xavier Tillman taking over for Kenny Goins <laughs> cannot be made right now uh, because Goins played his career game, you know, against Kansas and Tillman did not. But I, I just don't see it happening where he averages double digits. I mean, I'd say maybe the seven to eight point range, maybe. That, that might even be a little high. I don't know. Yeah, it's tough to range him because you think about if he does get a couple open three-point looks, mm-hmm. that's at least maybe one that's to six, two right? threes. Yeah, that's yeah. six there. And then you're like, uh, he can go in and get a couple putbacks or maybe just make a right nice cut inside. It, but it's somewhere around that six, eight, I would say, even though that still seems very high. But I think <laughs> that's... Yeah. And that's the thing is with this 17-point outburst here, we're going to expect, okay, well, he did that against the number one team, so against Florida Gulf Coast coming in, who's lost a bunch of starters and everything. Mm-hmm. All right, so he's going to go off for 25, right? I just feel like this is one of those where it's like Kenny's going to go one for six, and, you know, <laughs> and it's yeah. just, yeah, for whatever reason, yeah. he was the guy against Kansas. Kenny Goins showed against the number one team he can get a double-double. All right, that's that's a heck of a performance from him, and when you talk about his ceiling – that's to me. That's right, right near it. You know, I, I would say. So, what can we expect out of him this year? I, I still struggle to put stretch four with his name, <laughs> yeah. though. You know, like a stretch four comes into college being a knockdown three point shooter, mm-hmm. and Kenny Goins didn't shoot threes until last season, his junior year, his redshirt junior year, his fourth year on campus. So, a lot of questions with Kenny Goins. A lot of questions with him, and we'll see his development as the year goes on and talk all about it here on the podcast. Two more late additions to the Twitter questions. Tino Abarca, who I went to uh, Indianapolis with, fun trip there, he says, will Nick Ward help or hurt his draft stock this year? I mean, this past game, yeah, like that hurt. Like mm-hmm. his what his goals were I'm sure for this season were not met that's not who he wants to portray himself as that that type of player but um hopefully during you know the Big 10 matches he can find himself and figure out what his groove is and get into that and then hopefully that'll help him this year but honestly from what we've seen already in just this one big game it's it's not, it's not good it's not what the draft is looking for no it, i yeah, off that like, one game, yeah. you definitely heard it. That's yeah. there, you definitely yeah. did not help it. Yeah, and I think that's that's just pretty clear. He didn't he didn't show any improvements to his game. And you look at a guy who's six eight. He has at least at this point not shown that he has a turnaround jumper, fifteen foot jumper, any more post moves. 
it, it, he's just not a player. And you look at today's NBA where he doesn't necessarily fit in there. And, I mean, at this point in the season, I don't see his stock going up. I think, first off, to look at this, I think you have to look at what his draft stock was last year and what mm-hmm. it was coming into the year, which was, I mean, he was maybe a second-round pick. I mean, maybe mid, mid-second round pick, I'd say, last year, maybe towards the end of it. Do you think he even gets drafted, Amanda? No? I mean, no. Last year, he just was not, he didn't stand out that much. Like, yeah. yes, I mean, he was in a great His minutes went class. down from his yes. freshman year. Yeah. Yes, I mean, he was in a great recruitment, like, recruiting class, but, like, he didn't shine, you know what I mean? Like, he didn't, like, outdo himself. And especially talking about the NBA situation you know the the as far as a post up center like that i mean he needs to show more ball handling and everything like that so but i i think he will help his draft stock because i think from where it was last year i think the improvements to his game and especially the the things that he learned out at the the draft and meeting with the teams and things like that i think that'll help him and i think a lot of it is the off the court the maturity stuff and and i mean he is a good kid he just you know, for the last couple of years was, you know, he'd have his, his moments, you know. And, and I think this year it's can he cut down on those moments and be more of a professional. Finally, this is a tweet from at the Brady Bunch. Yeah, this is this is my friend, my coworker. Oh, my it's friend. not it's not the actual show tweet. Not at the us. show, the wow. Brady Bunch. But oh. you know, just as fun, just as amazing. I had to include him in here. Shout out my my good friend Brady. We work together as RAs. He's a good friend. Send, send in this Twitter question for me, and I thought, I thought it was kind of fun. Thought, yeah. Give him a little shout-out. Oh, well, little well let's, let's give him a little shout-out. At the Brady Bunch asks, why does the MSU roster claim that Foster Lawyer is six foot? Because he feels six foot. <laughs> he feels <laughs> like that is what if he If that's is. how this works, then I want my driver's license to say I'm uh, six foot. I'm, I'm six <laughs> foot. Yeah, jeez. We we I swear to you we were in the elevator at the Champions Classic. We were talking with some of the media people, and and I'm and I said, Foster Lawyer's not six foot, right, guys? And someone else said, If Foster's six foot, then I'm six foot eight. <laughs> like that's man. I mean, he's he's getting some help there as far as that goes. Very generous. Very generous six foot. Good player though. He's he's gonna be a great player he's no matter player. what his height is, but. Uh, Let's just say that MSU lists heights and weights at a interesting, with an interesting caveat there, because Marcus Bingham was listed at two fifteen when he stepped on campus at one ninety five. <laughs> they they all they kind of they hope they, they list all, him as what they hope. <laughs> yeah, they they list him as their what we'd love you to be, but. And then it continues to go up throughout the season. You're oh, like, yeah. how's Bingham oh, looking? Yeah. Oh, he's two, oh, 235. I swear. <laughs> and, and I swear Cassius was listed at six foot last year. He did not grow an inch, okay? Yes. He did not yes. grow an inch over the summer, okay? That is not true. So that's that's the uh, that's the nature of Michigan State putting out its own rosters. Let's look ahead. Let's get past this Kansas game. We've It's been great talking about it, though, because, look, this is the only time this year the Michigan State's going to play the number one team in the country. Okay, and and again, top two team because Duke is going to overtake number one, but that that was a test for Michigan State, and I think they passed it in the second half. Of course, we talked about Kansas maybe letting the foot off the gas, but let's just say I don't think that the next two games Michigan State will be in a seventeen point hole in the second half. 
Florida Gulf Coast and Louisiana Monroe. We're going to preview both of them. Florida Gulf Coast comes into town for the home opener at the Breslin Center on Sunday, 6 p.m. You can find it on Big Ten Network, as well as Louisiana Monroe because that's a Wednesday game, and we will record again next week on Friday after that game. So want to get the previews in for both of those games and our predictions, of course. Of course. Have to get those in. Uh, it's This is the big leagues, Amanda. We, we <laughs> do the predictions. Look, I mean, you, you had a great one as far as the, the first half went for Kansas. Just yeah, and look at that as a moral it. victory <laughs> because I got the real victory. I'm leading the point standings Oh, geez. Uh, because I we all picked Kansas, so we all got a point for that, but I had the closest scoring margin. I picked Kansas by seven. Julian, you picked Kansas by eight. Kansas won by five. So, Almost. Sorry. sorry. Mm. Just, mm. That, just that close. Eh. Florida Gulf Coast comes into town. Michigan State played them two years ago, by the way. MSU won controversially in 2016-17. It was a 78-77 game. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I there was, was there. there was a clock error at the end of that game, yep. and, and Florida Gulf Coast was pretty upset about it after the game. Uh, One-point victory for Michigan State. The, they threw an inbounds pass, and the clock started while the ball was in the air and not when it touched the player's hand. So Michigan State won. But Florida Gulf Coast is not exactly that team anymore. They, We all know Dunk City from five years ago now, by the way. That was the 2013 wow. tournament when they made that run, which is, that seems like it was just yesterday that they were making that run, Florida Gulf Coast. But last year they went 23-12. and 12. They were 12-2 and two in the conference, but they only made the NIT, and they lost in the uh, first round of that. And I just... When I look at this roster and everything, I just don't think it's going to be much of much of a game for Michigan State. Not at all. I just this Florida Gulf Coast team lost a lot of players. They lost their second leading scorer in Zach Johnson. He transferred to Miami. Michael Gilmore back to VCU. They lost three of their top five scorers to graduation last season. And they do kind of retool, come back with some transfers, some young talent. But all in all. You look at what Kansas had, and you look and say, they just had too much talent for Michigan State. Michigan State just has too much talent for this Florida Gulf Coast team. Yeah, I tend to agree, and that's why I'm picking Michigan State by 22. I'm going to say 79-57. Maybe they start out slow again, uh, front of the home crowd, you know, maybe some jitters, you know. The, the fans, of course, will be behind Michigan State, but there's an expectation when you play at the Breslin Center. Michigan State has not lost in November at the Breslin Center since 1986 there's your stat of the day they lost to navy well actually no that was at the jenison actually so they've never lost at the breslin center in november if we're getting technical here yeah yeah i'm just i'm just saying <laughs> just saying so 98 or excuse me 79 57 msu i'm ooh, ooh, sheesh. <laughs> numbers are getting hard right now we gotta yes. get out of here uh amanda what do you think as far as this game? I mean, like you guys said about the team, like Florida Gulf Coast just not being um, something that Michigan State needs to freak out about. But it's also, yeah, it's going to be in the Breslin Center. The guys are back in their, um, you know, is-zone with the energy and probably have a little chip on their shoulder from the Kansas game um, and wanting to come out there and really just, like, dig into this team. And that's why I'm picking them to win, MSU to win, 85-60, 25 points. 
I just feel like they're going to come out with a lot of energy and a lot of just like want to just like win, win, win. And by just a lot. stomp them yes. at the beginning. Yes. And yeah. feel good about themselves. Oh, like yeah. Self esteem builder. Well, this is, that's what this kind of game is, you know? And of course, now that we're all picking Michigan State to win a blowout, expected to come down <laughs> to the final minute. But uh, Julian, your prediction for this game. Yeah, I have it. <clears throat> excuse me. Excuse me. Well, I have it. <laughs> Ooh, a little deep voice Julian came in. Little Ooh. Ju- Julian. Very uh, white. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Yeah, it's snowing outside, baby. Uh, but at 87, <laughs> 56, <laughs> Michigan State. <laughs> Where did Julian go? Where did Julian go? It's snowing outside, baby. Oh, God. <laughs> Shout out, Barry White. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what just happened. I don't. Oh. If our listeners are still listening after that. Oh, they definitely are. Oh, they're listening now. Now they're, now. Now they're, now they're oh. like, oh, I'm too right. in. Let, Amanda, let's get out of the way and let the listeners have Julian what they White. want. Julian Mitchell behind the mic. Oh, my goodness. Man, if I had a lone podcast, this <laughs> that'd be our competition. Okay. Next week, it's all you, man. Yep. <laughs> Just go on. Basketball talk with Julian Mitchell. Mitchell. Welcome to the Impact is Zone podcast. Baby. There we go. Baby. Baby. There we go. All right. Just give me your score. (laughs) 87 56, Michigan State in a blowout. So, three blowout picks there. I might change it to Michigan State 87 56 too, because I just can't argue with Julian right now. (laughs) It's not Julian. Just. Julian. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. That was amazing. Well, let's see what he can say about Louisiana Monroe as uh, the Warhawks, the mighty Warhawks, come into the Breslin What's Center. What's a Warhawk? It's a hawk that goes to war. I have no <laughs> a idea. Warhawk. I have no idea. A Warhawk. Hmm. I wonder what noise they make. Julian, you're our, our voice actor <laughs> over here. Can you give us a Warhawk sound? All right, let's see. Normal birds go like squawk. A warhawk would go like squawk. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. I'm going. I'm going to war. So squawk. aggressive. It's a, it's a little bit more aggressive. Yep. All right. Oh my goodness. Louisiana Monroe warhawks. Squawk. <laughs> Louisiana Monroe. They they squawked their way to 16 and 16 last year. They were nine and nine in the Sun Belt. So that's about as 500 of a game as you can get. They're right up the middle made the second round of their conference tournament, and I just don't think, I mean, they, they just won by nine against mighty Jackson State. The Warhawks uh, just don't offer too much as far as uh, competition for Michigan State this year. They, they really don't. This is a team that, kind of like Florida Gulf Coast, just doesn't have the talent. This could be an interesting one to see how Winston and McQuaid and Langford all play, as Louisiana Monroe is a, a very guard Heavy team. They look to their two guards to play very well. And uh, Travis Munnings, who averaged 15.9 last season. And then their sophomore, Michael Ertle, who averaged 11.6 in his freshman his freshman season at Louisiana Monroe. So those two guys are going to be big for this Louisiana Monroe team. Uh, and, and it's going to be fun to watch how Winston and them all play defense on that end of the floor. But other than that, this is a team that will just not have enough firepower. Yeah, I definitely think this is going to be a game that Michigan State's going to get a just some time to just – do their thing just like the Florida Gulf Coast game they're just going to be at the Breslin they're going to be with their fans with their team and it's just going to be 
a game where they figure out like what they're doing and what their hopes for the season as these preseason games kind of are these pre non-conference or whatever games are um and honestly I'm going to start off with the predictions can I do that can oh, I please, go first yes. okay so um I have Michigan State winning 88 to 59 I expect a lot from them just because Louisiana Monroe the Warhawks <laughs> squawk <laughs> Um, just are not going to be a challenge for this Michigan State team. The way Amanda just looked over at Julian, like line. waiting for that, that was great. Just Ooh. Julian, you got to be ready on cue now. I guess. Now that we know, for you can do effects. all the sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> got to put that on my resume. Uh, yes, that'll, that'll get provided me sound effects for the impact is on. That's that's like the top of your resume, actually, yeah, isn't yeah, it? That's yeah, the that's top of there. That's right up there. Then impact is on. Then green and white report, right? Yep. All right, just yes. get on to your pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my prediction, I have it at 85-60, Michigan State. I'm going 87-52. I think the defense shows up for this one. Kind of interesting, though, with Louisiana Monroe returning a lot more than Florida Gulf Coast was. Florida Gulf Coast kind of lost a lot, right? And that's kind of mm-hmm. the new head coach there. But I think Louisiana Monroe, that... I don't know, but I'm still going to pick them to beat Louisiana Monroe by more just because Florida Gulf Coast, we've seen them before, and, and that's a program that's been there. And they, they've come up to these games and, and have been ready for them, hence losing by one a couple of years ago. But 87-52 is my pick for that one. As I look to defend my lead in the point standings. I know. You guys are so scared for the rest of the year because I'm just going to, you know, and, and once you guys continue the podcast after me, I expect you to be texting me asking for my score predictions to read on the show. Mm, I think we're just going to throw this all I out. Think- <laughs> oh, just just scrap the show. Oh, just start anew. Oh, no, it's cool. It's fine. Just going to scorch earth this whole thing. It's just, it's okay. I mean, I'll just, I'll just find two new co-hosts that'll actually treat it with respect. All right, I didn't know we would get this heated on the show. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I feel like the last is, 10 minutes have just really gone like... It's been off the rails. Yes. And that's okay. Maybe we're just trying to forget the fact that Michigan State lost to I Kansas. Know, we're just, I know. We're just kidding. Let's just joke about it. Just deny that I'm going to get emotional. Right? I just really want to talk about Duke. That's all That's all this has been. <laughs> Zion. All right, the the next show we'll have is the, the Duke show. I think I want to marry Zion Williams. Well, that that's already there's Julie. That's a good way to end on the Impact Is On podcast, Zion. If you're listening, <laughs> Julian uh, at J underscore Mitchell twenty five. Slide in the DMs. This just happened. No. We're <sighs> I can't we believe that just this. happened. That's let's get this out of here. Impact Is On. Thank you for listening. Season six, episode four. We will have. Two games to talk about next week, ULM and Florida Gulf Coast. But in the meantime, have a great rest of your week. Merry Christmas. Huge game for both teams, but especially Michigan State.